You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa, nature's catalyst for optimizing fat metabolism. Hi, welcome to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, and I'm your host, Peter Defty, with my co-host, Naomi Land. Naomi? Hi, everyone. And today, we've got the naughty nutritionist, Kayla Daniel, back on the show to talk with us about defying aging and we're going to defy it um kayla welcome to the show thank you and and love talking to you both yeah well we want you we and we want you to do the talking yeah (laughs) um so anyway today's subject is is age defined i think that the way to start this out is I want a brief overview of, of you, Kayla, because, you, you know, we're not going to tell your age unless you want to. But, you know, you've been around the block a time or two and and, you know, <laughs> you're, you're in wonderful shape. I mean, people must ask you all the time what you do to stay so vibrant uh, on all levels. And so start out briefly with with, you know, how you're how you're doing. It, and then we'll, we'll delve into more about what you do later in the show to kind of give people a real world example of how you stay youthful and vibrant and engaged in, in life. Okay, well, I'm the naughty nutritionist. And I think mental attitude and the ability to have fun and to engage in mischief is one of the ways we can stay young. And Remaining curious, staying uh, interested in, in life and learning new things, all very, very valuable. And of course, diet and lifestyle, very, very important, including fitness. And that can be as basic as I do enjoy taking long walks and hikes. And once a year, I usually make a trip to the Grand Canyon. That's a fabulous, fabulous hike there on the Bright Angel Trail. And I'm also a swinger. Yep, I'm a swinger, uh, kettlebells, and <laughs> swing dancing. <laughs> of course. You had me there for a minute, Kayla. <laughs> oh, I also play the organ. Okay. <laughs> I play Bach on a pipe organ. I've got a small pipe organ here at my house. Okay, well, let's just keep that on. Do I have to pay you $2 a minute for this? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, how about some Vespa? <laughs> okay, Vespa's good too. <laughs> uh, good, 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 good. So, yeah, you have, the, you have the credentials. You've been you've been in the scene of health and nutrition for how many years? How many decades? We won't tell your age, but... Uh, about three. But I was interested in nutrition before that because I was a skinny bitch and I was not healthy. And I had the sense that food could make a difference. So I started studying nutrition and food and supplements, and I tried all sorts of different diets and eventually arriving at an ancestral paleo-primal kind of diet that, well, at this point, quite high in fat. Yeah, super. Yeah, so um, let's kind of get into discussing sort of the the myths and the reality of, of aging from your perspective. Well, the way I see it is we all know people who are, say, in their 60s and they seem very young and vibrant. And we all know a few people in their 30s who seem much older. 
And so we know it's not a matter just of the years. We know there's a difference between biological age and chronological age. And we can, we can see that with many, many people. And I was, um, I've been engaged for a long time in exploring the differences between the ones who seem to be aging really, really well, you know, the super young, some people call them the super young people. And they're the fun people to be around. Their minds are still active. They're curious. They're doing things. They may have switched careers several times. Uh, there's certain characteristics of those people. And I have sought to emulate that. And we also see people who seem stuck in their ways, maybe even in their 20s, 30s. And I often work with clients and they'll start out with saying something like, well, I'm 40, so of course I expect to have joint problems and I expect to have the beginnings of arthritis or whatever. And I don't buy any of that. I don't think any of that is normal. Just because it's typical doesn't mean it's normal. Yeah, no, and I, I hear that a lot uh, from athletes. Naomi, you're one, you're one of the ones that have commented to me that the doctors uh, and, uh, and people close to you have said, you know, um, this is just part of aging, whatever is going on, and you should accept that. And, and so you care to comment that, on that, Naomi? Sure. I think, too, you know, they're looking at um, a pharmaceutical medical side and they don't look outside the square as to, you know, what other things that, um, yeah, can can cause ageing. So, um, but I do think that people think that, you know, it's a normal thing to age and to break down and, but we can actually keep um, you know, full muscle tone, full um, movement. There's no reason, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it, don't you? Uh, no comment. Kayla, <laughs> <laughs> you bring out the best in him, don't you? I guess so. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to kiss and tell, maybe. <laughs> So, so yeah, Kayla, you know, th this is a common theme. I hear this all the time from people, you know, again, in the 40s, particularly women that, that the doctors or their health professionals or their loved ones say, just get used to the extra pounds that are going on. Just get used to this. And you people just sort of accept segueing into life and, you know, being the uh, in that herd mentality of just going to slaughter. I've heard that a lot. Um, a lot of mid-age women start having thyroid problems and we did another segment on that before and and there's ways to support our thyroid we don't have to go down that path and support nourish our thyroid and stay fit eat the right things keep our keep ourselves at a healthy weight it's it's very possible yeah so um this whole lifestyle thing you know we're looking at getting fat metabolism and how that is so important. So we'll delve into that, but, but I think one of the first things we want to look at is something you have a lot of expertise in is um, fats and oils. I mean, you know, we are all pro getting back to the type of diet that gets your body metabolized fat at a high rate, which is generally a, a diet rich in fats, but there are good fats and bad fats. And, and the problem we're seeing is that too often um, whether it's fats or fluoride or flaxseed or something or soy, what's touted as good actually um, is quite the opposite. 
That's very true. And I think we do need to use our common sense, think about what our ancestors did, what they valued, and wherever we go in the world, our ancestors valued fats. And we're talking natural fats, the kind of fats that we can make ourselves in our own kitchens. And that would be things like butter, it would be ghee, it would be tallow, lard, olive oil. These are natural fats that we can process ourselves. And in contrast, I don't think any of us would have a clue as to how to start to make canola oil or um, soy oil. We need a billion dollar factory to do that. Yeah, and, and that's that's one of the key things is, is all the fats that we can make tend to be relatively stable fats that don't go rancid. And we're going to have another uh, episode with you um, specifically on this subject because um, let's talk about rancid oils and what they do in, for the aging process. Well, they don't do it any good, that's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, rancid fats will affect us mentally, physically, affect every single process in the body, damage every cell in the body. We don't have a chance if we're either on a low-fat diet or on a rancid fat diet. So uh, our ancestors were not eating oils out of bottles. That's really the bottom line. So the more we focus on foods that are fresh, that have not gone bad, uh, the better. Yeah, and also what like- What sort of foods are you talking about, Kayla? What kinds of fats? Well, good bacon fat, uh, tallow, lard, butter, ghee. If people can't tolerate dairy, um, as in butter, Ghee is an option for many, many people, very, very healthy fat. And if it's from pastured cows, are very yellow, very rich in vitamin K2. And that's so important for our bones and other processes in the body. And most people low in vitamin K2. So I really love the pure Indian foods ghee. And that's a staple in my kitchen, cooking with ghee. And I love the butter. And that's a good way to really enjoy our vegetables. People talk about how their kids won't eat vegetables. Well, plenty of fat on those vegetables, and they are so good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what about oils and things like that? Well, um, coconut oil, of course. And uh, that is very healthy for many, many of us. And for people who are still thinking a plant-based diet is good, a good start for them, at least getting some good fat into their diet, avocado and coconut oil. Good start there because that's a plant-based fat. That uh, olive oil is also a good option, isn't it? Excellent. Olive oil gets a little tricky because some of the olive oils have been contaminated with canola oil. So very, very important to know who you're buying from. Yeah, actually, I do have a little bit of insider knowledge on this. And, and for our audience, if you're, this is not a plug that I'm paid for, but actually California olive oil, and I don't know if Aussie has an olive oil industry, but if it does, it's probably good. Um, because the California olive oil and probably in Australia, because the cost of labor is so high and it's a relatively new crop, the olive oil produced in California actually gets pressed within about four to eight hours of harvest. Whereas in a lot of the European countries and northern African countries and Mediterranean countries where they use olive oil, it's still a, it's a very old crop and they tend to harvest and pile the olives and they'll sit for several hours and, and you'll you'll have some rancidity in, in the olive oil. And you can actually taste it. If you do a taste testing of, of, of a good California olive oil to a, um, 
an extra virgin olive oil that we would get in the United States, you can taste the, literally taste the difference in the freshness. Yes, it's something we can educate ourselves on. We can become olive oil connoisseurs and wine connoisseurs and, and value the quality and very important as consumers that we insist on getting the good products and that we're willing to pay for them. We need to support the people who, who do it right. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and our health is at stake too. So, yeah, it's it's actually cheap in the long run, right? Yeah, well, we can either pay for the good food and to be healthy, or we can pay for disease. And I think I'm going to choose the health. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we're talking about this, the idea that we have here about optimizing your fat metabolism, comment on this about when you're burning fat as fuel rather than glucose, um, one of the big talks and myths out there is all this talk about antioxidants. You know, there's all this talk, you got to get this antioxidant or, or that antioxidant. And correct me if I'm wrong, but our approach has always been, why not reduce the oxidative stress in the first place, which is what a fat adapted sort of diet would do compared to a high carbohydrate diet. I think that makes a lot of sense and including a lot of antioxidant rich foods in the diet as opposed to going overboard with supplementation. Good policy. And when people supplement, well, I'm a nutritionist, so this might seem a little self-serving, but I think it's important to do testing to know what you really need because a lot of people are taking massive amounts of this product or that product and they're intelligently chosen in many ways, but not necessarily the right package for them. Uh, and you can go overboard with antioxidants and with, with other products too. I think we need to take care and the more we can focus on high-level food sources, the better. Yeah. Well, yeah, my friend Bruce yeah, LaBelle, yeah. Who, who's an organic chemist, he, he's having a hard time even trying to identify what an antioxidant is in his mind from an organic chemistry perspective or a biochemistry perspective. So it's kind of interesting. And, and what, But what we've seen um, observationally is when you burn fat, you reduce the lactate load and uh, oxidative stress. So the need, that need to be using massive amounts of quote-unquote antioxidant type foods or supplements um, really gets reduced to a fraction. Makes sense to me. And there's so many other benefits too. And we, we feel better and we recognize that. Yeah. So, you know, being a woman of a certain age, um, <laughs> but still with this... Nice age. <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not a nice age it's a naughty age it's a very naughty age she, remember remember Naomi well, she, it's a fun age then it's a, well she, she's a swinger okay so so you know tell us about your your life right now because you've you we've been talking about the whole workout kettlebells and and hiking and and running and so tell us about all that right now well, I'm not much of a runner. I don't really like the feel of my body pounding the pavement, but I love to walk and I go at a pretty brisk rate with my dog. And maybe it's three miles and pretty much every day. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's four, but in that range. And I get to enjoy the fresh air and the sun and, you know, smell the flowers, notice the change of the seasons. And 
I love that. That's a pleasure for me. But I've got a wonderful friend, Nancy Falster, who's around 60, and she just ran the New York Marathon. She started training about a year ago, and her daughter inspired her. And she has a farm, and she had some accident that hurt her knee, and uh, she somehow got past that and kept on training with her doctor's permission, and she just did it. She went past the finish line. So she's a great inspiration for me. And that's just, there's a whole lot of people who would not really be called athletes who are finding ways to stay fit. Yeah, but even, even you know, when you're past north of 60 and I'm, I'm approaching 60, you know, you're, you're swinging kettlebells, right? That's your, your big strength. I and am. And you've, you've, you know, you, like I say, you look great. I mean, um, and I want to like, have you expand upon, you know, the whole idea of, of exercise and motion and all that in terms of how that can really slow that down because you're a living example of that. Yeah. And anti-aging too, Kayla, like talk about, you know, the importance of exercise with um, variety for anti-aging. Yes, I, I've done a whole lot of things. Uh, I've done yoga. I did something, a Korean form of yoga called Don Yoga, which has a lot to do with, with vibration. But I was noticing that even though I felt really good on a lot of levels, and I think my insides were really, really staying fit from it. But my outside, I was losing some muscle, and I didn't like that. And maybe part of that was from a vanity point of view, but I wanted to do something else that was going to keep keep me really fit and toned. So I've done various things, you know, the different gyms, the different systems. At the moment, I'm doing kettlebells at a place called Firebells that's in Albuquerque. And I'm not really very good at it. I don't have much of an aptitude, but I have good trainers and they're taking care of me. They're making sure I'm doing it right. How how old are they? They are younger than I am. (laughs) A lot younger. (laughs) So you got a lot of eye candy in there, right? I do. You should see these firemen. They're such hunks. (laughs) All right. Well, so is that working but for I you? Know. Yeah, is that working for you and you're retaining muscle mass? Uh, I'm building some. I'm, I'm doing very well that way. And yeah, I weigh quite a bit more than I did years ago, but a lot of it's muscle fat and fat and the, the muscle, muscle weighs more than fat. So super. So um, let's, let's kind of connect some of the dots here. So part of that has to do with the fact that you're exercising, you're doing both aerobic work plus high intensity strength work. But then we have this other component with the diet. And I think one of the things that, that we stress with OFM is, is that modern society has kind of lost touch of some of the basics of diet. So, you know, whether it's nose to tail or whole animal, but, you know, I really push the organ meat and the broth and we've, we've did a, a segment on, on, on broth. So, um, Let's connect that because you need those building blocks and, and Americans and probably Aussies eat too much muscle meat. 
Yes, it's it's very, very important that we be omnivores, but also with the nose-to-tail approach, because our ancestors, in their wisdom, they knew that we needed the liver and the heart and the gizzards of it, and the tripe and all these different parts of the animal, nose-to-tail eating, and that honors the animal, and it's also Mother Nature's wisdom. And we need to use the carcass to make good bone broth. And these are all very, very important for our health. And I think a lot of athletes and also a lot of people who are just my fellow sufferers at, say, the kettlebells, uh, they're having a lot of problem with injuries because they're, they're not doing the bone broth component. They may be doing shakes. They may be eating steaks and chops. Uh, most of them are not vegetarians but they're not eating all parts of the animals. So there's a lot of knee problems, a lot of injuries, and a lot of difficulty recovering. And many, many people I know who've had, for example, knee surgery. And of course, that's epidemic among aging athletes, you know, the old, the old injuries, etc. So one of the ways to prevent the injuries to begin with and to recover quickly if you do become injured is to have bone broth as a foundation in the diet and to include supplements like collagen, gelatin, and cartilage. And the more active you are, uh, the more high level you're performing at, that, that is physical stress on the body. And if, if we're doing that, then we do need to to include some of these extra super supplements. And I'm talking not about shakes and powders. I'm talking about cartilage. I'm talking about broth. Yep. And these, these are all actually foods for our audience to know. It's not like a pill. It's like you make broth, you add a little gelatin to it, and uh, you get a bang-up package there. And, and this is supported um, by our, our friend uh, Marita Wallace, who's postdocing at UC Davis and... Um, she was on the podcast right after you on, on this whole thing. And the research is starting to show the importance of the combination of a fat adapted diet at um, exercise and the addition of that collagen matrix in terms of superior health, not just for injury prevention, but also for uh, muscle aging and, uh, and muscle retention as you age. Yes, I think a lot of people understand the importance of, of training for, for building bone, but what they miss is the importance in the diet of the collagen because we need the collagen framework to build good bone. And there's a woman where I train who is absolutely beautiful and very, very strong. She's awesome. She's a black belt in kettlebells. But she's apparently uh, had a bone mass test and uh, didn't look too good. And I do believe that that the broth is probably the missing piece there. Yep, yep. Mm. So you did, did you tell her? I, I told her husband and uh, because he was doing a nutrition class with us and he was actually talking about the bone broth and I, I did talk with him about that. Nice. Yeah, and as I said earlier, this is exactly what Marita's research is, is that collagen um, element of gelatin is, is just so critical for, for all, not just the tendons and joints and the synovial fluid, but also for the muscle, muscles themselves, the muscle fibers themselves. <clears throat> it's really, really interesting. 
And a lot of people miss that piece. Um, when they're talking about bones, they're thinking about minerals, they're thinking about calcium, they're thinking about supplements that include, say, vitamin D, calcium, and other minerals. And those are the more enlightened people. You know, they're not talking just calcium, they're talking about a full complex but they're still missing the collagen piece of that. And I like to describe that as, as when you're making something with concrete, you need the rebar for the structure. Otherwise, the concrete is, is not going to hold up. So we need the rebar of the collagen and not just the minerals. Oh. <laughs> Kayla, <laughs> I want to ask you um, about your lifestyle, stress and... Um, some other things, so sleep, sexuality, and mental and physical ability as well. So bring out the naughty nutritionist and tell us about that. No details. Well, uh, just no, no details. Just, okay. just, just no, wise words to live. Wise, wise words to yeah. live by. Now the details are for me to know and you to imagine. I'm imagining. I'm imagining getting wham wham by a kettlebell when I'm doing something naughty. <laughs> As Arianna Huffington has said, we should sleep our way to the top. And what that really means is we do need enough sleep and we need it consistent. We need to be sleeping well. And I have really learned for myself that if I don't get regular sleep and enough sleep, that I'm not good for much. I'm not good in terms of working well with people, collaborating, cooperating, um, um, understanding, being compassionate. If I don't have enough sleep, I'm irritable. So sleep is very important on that level, physically very, very important. And if I'm going to write and be productive, can't really do those overnighters anymore. I think it's undervalued, uh, the, the, the quality of sleep, because what we see is when you're fat adapted, you need less sleep, but the quality of sleep increases. Um, care to comment? I think that's really true. And, you know, we have an epidemic of sleep problems. And so many people can't get to sleep, can't stay to sleep, very restless sleep. And there's many, many causes for those problems. But if people are training or, or getting some kind of good exercise, even if it's just a good walk earlier in the day, they do tend to sleep better. And then if the diet is, is correct for them as well, that helps too, uh, so many factors. Mm, yeah, and caffeine and electronics and all of those sorts of things. Yes, making the bedroom a sanctuary, uh, making it dark, keeping the electronics out of there. Um, also, from a feng shui point of view, keeping the clutter out of there, having the bedroom very peaceful and serene, not having like jungle patterns and tigers on your wall. That's, that, that's, that's exactly what they do in Las Vegas. I mean, it's all structured that way in the hotels to keep you uh, disoriented. Yes, they want you up all night playing. Yeah, and, and, and like you say, not on your best game so you can lose a lot of money. And we need a non-toxic bedroom. That becomes very important for anti-aging. We need to eliminate as many toxins as possible from our lives. So that would be good cotton sheets, uh, laundering them with non-toxic detergent, um, uh, curtains, draperies that have not been dry cleaned 
a non-toxic mattress, keeping Wi-Fi out of the bedroom, a long, long list of things. And if you're trying to create a non-toxic home, one of the first things to do would be to get carpet out of the bedroom, especially getting wall-to-wall -wall carpet out of the bedroom. Oh, wow. Okay, no more rug burns. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, we're actually, I'm actually planning to have, uh, my friend Bruce LaBelle on the podcast to specifically talk about environmental toxins. Cause that's, that's what he does is the lab, uh, director for the Cal EPA. And, um, because it's kind of interesting, uh, what people don't know. And of course, you know, you're such a proponent. We're all proponents of fat in the diet, and that will help us detox. But we still have to reduce our exposure. You know, one of my mentors, the late Hazel Parcells, who died at 106 years young, she liked to say, if you want to get dry, get out of the rain. You know, we're back to common sense. So got to reduce that exposure. So let's talk about sex. Okay. I thought we were going to talk about stress first, but we'll talk about sex and then we'll talk about, then we'll do the, uh, oh, you know, the, sex the, is more important than stress, right? Well, sex and reducing stress go together, don't they? They do. That's the oxytocin, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, that just comes back to, you know, the many ways we can have fun in our lives. And with many of my clients, that's one of the missing pieces. They need more fun in their lives. And part of that fun may be having good sex with somebody they really love or at least really, really like and a good, good relationship. And uh, yeah, the, the feel-good hormones, um, they have a cascade of good energy going through the whole body, very healing for people. Well, and I think but that also leads to, you know, a lot of why people don't have sex, which is they're stressed out and they're tired. And, and so we should kind of also talk about that, the, the, you know, the stress we have in these first world problems, uh, et cetera. Well, it's very easy to make fun of the couples who actually write sex into their calendars that, you know, it's going to happen at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. And it's very easy to make fun of them. But, you know, those couples are the ones that are actually having sex. It's, you know, it's planned. They've made it a priority. And maybe the, the thoughts about what's going to happen all day, those are good feelings, you know, good thoughts all day. Okay. No, no. And I, I think that that's great. But I think that, uh, that a lot of people, um, you know, are going to, you know, they're, they're trying to do sport. They're trying to be good good husbands or, or wives and make a lot of money as professionals. And, and we have a lot of stressors in our lives. And then when people get stressed, particularly women, the, the, you know, the sexuality goes out the window. So does the athletic performance. And then eventually so does health. So well, some, some of the fitness buffs that I know um, may be overdoing that. Their lives are not in balance. I know somebody who does the 515 kettlebell class just about every day and works a long, hard, stressful day. And I bet she doesn't have that much energy for fun in the evening. Now, I may be wrong, but uh, Sometimes I think a, a balance is good, maybe three or four times a week for the kettlebells and not six times a week. Yeah, no, and I think that that's true. You know, like men are sort of hardwired for it, except that, you know, sometimes it gets off too. But, 
you know, we see so many athletes where female athletes in particular, where they just don't have a libido left. But, you know, when you look at the whole picture, it's, you know, they're stressing about their lives and they're not making that a priority. So I just, I think, you know, as I say, the stress component is as big as the carbohydrates. Um, it just matters. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and I think it's it's just an important part of that that thing. And then realize, being able to realize that and step back from it and learn to deal with it in a healthy way, like your friend said, you know, step out of the rain. But that's a hard for a lot of type A people to do. Yeah, I've seen uh, some incredibly fit women who whose body is so shredded that that their hormones are not working anymore. I mean, women do need some fat, very, very important fats, fat for hormone, fats for brain health, and becoming too shredded may not be an ideal for women who are not professional athletes. Yeah, usually those kind of women go amenorrheic um, during those periods. So... You know, that's, and it's natural if you go into amenorrhea that, that you're going to have some loss of libido. Well, absolutely. And that affects the hormones. Uh, there's bone loss associated with that. And doing anything to excess is probably not healthy. Yeah. And, and like from what I'm, my perspective, from an evolutionary standpoint, um, I don't have a problem with an athlete, a female athlete going amenorrheic during a, a high period of training load to an event and all that because evolutionary, evolutionarily, the, you know, women did not, you know, have menstrual cycles once, once a month. And so, but, you know, at the end of their season or training period, they should go back into their uh, cycle and, and cycle for a while. Um, but, you know, I think that we've become accustomed to where women are supposed to cycle and oftentimes the um, side effects associated with them are considered normal, just like segueing into aging. And I think that, you know, a lot of this can be ameliorated by proper diet, lifestyle, stress reduction, etc. Well, I think um, there's there's a difference between, say, what I admire in an athlete, you know, the accomplishment, the motivation, what helps them achieve these amazing goals that, say, I would never, you know, do myself personally. Um, and some of that accomplishment may not be really healthy. It may not be supporting maximum longevity, but that accomplishment is so exciting and I was just, I've been, I'm moving, so I'm clearing out my house, going through old magazines, and I just found an old New Yorker with this inspiring article about Diana Nyad, and at 64, her doing the swim from Cuba to Florida, and without a shark cage, and there had been many failed attempts before she actually succeeded in doing that, and what it took in terms of her mental determination and you know, the willpower. I mean, awesome, awesome. So I so admire that. But as a nutritionist, um, thinking long term for most of us, the right amount of exercise and more balance in the life is is probably important. So how long would you say that would be, Kayla? How long would what be? Exercise a day. What's a healthy... Uh, I think it probably varies from person to person. And, 
you know, my friend Nancy training for the marathon, I mean, what that achievement meant for her, you know, mentally and physically as a triumph, even though she's not a professional athlete, I mean, that can only be a wonderful thing for her. But I think for a lot of us, and I'm speaking for myself too, the walks every day, which I totally enjoy, where it's my meditation, it's my relaxation, it's a lot of my fun, uh, where my dog gets to benefit too. And I get to see my neighbors, sometimes talk with the neighbors. I think that's a very, very positive thing. And that's, that's just walking. And that's something all of us can do, really. And I do the kettlebells three or four times a week. And sometimes I get gung-ho and I want to go more and I want to accomplish more faster. But then I realize I like to do ecstatic dance. I do that usually Tuesday nights and that is very joyful for me. I like to play the organ. That's got a lot of lot to do with coordination and music and sound therapy. And mental skills. So, and mental, mental skills. Yeah. So it's a mix for me. Yeah. I think, um, you know, what we've come to see with, with most people, and I'm not talking about endurance athletes, but I think, you know, for, for from the fat adapted perspective, that if, if people can get themselves where they can do a physical activity, such as walking or even gardening or, you know, something that requires some level of physicality, but not huge physicality, like, say, training, like swinging kettlebells. But if they can work themselves up to a couple of hours of steady state without being wrecked or bonking or being famished. That, that tends to be what I think is a good physiological level for most people. It's very achievable. Um, and it seems to set the metabolic uh, engine in a way that, that, that makes it work the way it's meant to work. I think you're right. And I think a lot of people can, can start off with something fairly simple. If they've been inactive, maybe the first thing is, is, is the walking. And, you know, we think about some of these, these old ladies in, in the UK, you know, they walk and walk and walk, you know, in their saddle shoes and they live forever, those ladies. Yeah, that's right. When you look at these, uh, what, what are they, the, the blue zone countries, I think what people don't realize is these people tend to be fairly active. They're not doing, you know, Ironmans or, or ultras or marathons, but they're, they're just daily, like you say, on a daily basis, they're, they're active. When I lived in Brooklyn, I lived in a fifth floor walk up and I would say I was the most fit I've ever been in my life. Now, mind you, I was 30 years old at the time, but I could not avoid that workout. So several times a day, I was up five floors. I was in good shape just from going back into my own apartment. And I think, I think that yeah. says a lot about exercise being the power of exercise, which, which we all know. I think that that's like a no-brainer. But um, can you segue into the power of exercise with fat adaptation? Because, you know, there's this thing about carbohydrates and you need carbohydrates. And it's okay to take carbohydrates in when you're exercising. But, you know, looking through that lens of experience that you have, Kayla, um, what would you have to say? I've seen a lot of people over the past 30, 40 years who, who think that as long as they're running or as long as they're exercising in some manner, that they can eat anything they want. And they seem to get away with it for a while, but then, then the body starts to break down. It does not support good health. 
So I think that's just something I've observed and started noticing that way before anybody was talking about ketogenic diets or anybody had even come up with the term paleo. We were going way back. So it's something I've noticed for a long time. And for myself, I've certainly noticed that when I am eating more carbs, even when they're reasonably good carbs, you know, things like grains like quinoa, that I just eat more of them, I crave more of them, and I'm not feeling as good. Yeah, yeah. My energy is, is not as high. It's just something I've noticed. I can improve it somewhat by having plenty of butter on that quinoa, but it's still the grain, and my body seems to do better with less of that. Yeah, yeah. And we've also seen that, haven't we, Peter? Oh, yeah. Not just with our own experiences, but with tons of other uh, athletes. Mm, yeah. But I, you know, I also work with some clients and the first task is to get them off wheat and gluten. And there's a lot of addiction there. And for a lot of those people, the smart way to go will be something more gradual. I get them off the wheat and gluten and maybe for a while they're going to have rice and quinoa or something starchy to substitute. Yeah. And mm. then there's others who just want to, you know, the all or nothing is, is a good way for them to go. You know, people are very different in their in their habits. Yes, wheat, wheat, um, wheat, wheat is the crack of all carbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Kayla, um, outside, you live in New Mexico, right? So you're the land of the sun. Yes. Um, land of the sun and four seasons. You get, and four seasons? And it, four seasons. And, we have snow here. Yeah, and enchantment, right? Enchanté. Yes. Well, we're high mountain desert. People confuse us with, with Arizona. So it's really funny. People come for a vacation. They get off the airplane. They're wearing shorts and Hawaiian shirts, and then they do a booming business in coats and uh, clothes uh, at the plaza in Santa Fe. <laughs> so you're out. You're so out. how do you get your son? How do you get your son? You work inside a lot because you're, you know, with clients and um, doing business things. How do you get um, your son in the day? And how much sun should we get? That's a really interesting question. I have noticed that if I actually go outside in my yard and do some sunbathing, it feels really good. A great way to take a nap. Uh, getting sun that way. Uh, the walks I take, I'm getting some sun, but of course I'm dressed. So, you know, there's limits to that. On the other hand, there's a guy in Albuquerque, I call him Naked Man, and he's, he's a vegan who walks all over Albuquerque, miles and miles every day, wearing very, very little. You know, he's barely legal. That guy gets so much sun, and I think he's the healthiest vegan I've ever seen, most likely because he's getting so much sun. <laughs> so it can be done, but uh, I have a an ot light with... Um, uh, full spectrum. I'm getting some sunlight um, artificially from that. I have it set up with my computer. Use that during the day. And um, I also make sure my vitamin D is adequate. I think we need to do testing for that. And I recommend that for a lot of my clients. But part of just being out in the sun is doing something we enjoy. Maybe that's going to be playing soccer. Maybe that's going to be walking. Whatever, whatever works for you. 
Yeah, no, sure. and I think that that vitamin D is a good comment. We we keep pushing that because it's so key. And then yeah, the other thing I think um, because I'm the guy that can be a, that's willing to be wrong. The other thing I will say here is is that the medical reference range is way too low. Um, we see athletes a lot, and anything below 50 um, nanograms per deciliter is is low, and the, the reference range starts at 30. And so I see that 30 to 50 range for an athlete as being deficient. Um, we ideally, I like to see it above 70. And uh, do you think athletes need more than, say, just a normal fit person? I couldn't say that for sure, but I was talking with a cardiac, a preventative cardiac care nurse, and a lot of the leading cardiology stuff is suggesting. 70 to 90 for cardiology person. So that would suggest to me that it's just as important to have a, a robust vitamin D level in, in your normal population as well. I know that a lot of my athletes, we're looking at ranges from 50 to 150 rather than 30 to 100. A lot of the athletes I work with are in the 100 to 130, and that's where they seem to perform the best. And I don't, I don't worry about um, calcium deposition in soft tissue with them because they are metabolizing fat. Because when you start looking at all the pieces of how this was developed, it was developed exactly precisely when Weston Price was doing the, 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 his work. And um, that most people who are having vitamin D deficiencies were eating, you know, the, the, the foods of modern commerce and refrigeration hadn't kicked in. So fresh food was, was kind of a scarcity. And so, these people were on relatively high carb, nutrient poor diets, so they couldn't metabolize vitamin D. So thus, thus the scare about um, vitamin D toxicity. Um, whereas we make sure the athlete is is metabolizing fat well um, before we put them on a on a mega dosing protocol, and we make sure that in conjunction with um, their vitamin D doses that we have them on liver tablets because, as you know, liver, liver, whether it's in a capsule form or, or fresh liver or pate or foie gras or liverwurst, it's a, it's a wonderful source of bioavailable K2 and vitamin A and B vitamins, which are all necessary cofactors for absorption, proper absorption of, of vitamin D and the calcium to, depo you know, depose in the, the bone structure. Um, Another factor is magnesium too. So we make sure they're on magnesium and all these, these elements just seem to work to where the vitamin D works well, the calcium deposition goes to where it is. And um, we don't see problems with these high vitamin D levels in the same way that the um, conventional wisdom has some problems with that. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense. Um, I would never, never think just 30, 35 up to 40 is, is adequate. And, you know, a lot of people come in that I work with, that's where they're starting. Yeah. And we want to, we want to get that up for sure. And there was such a fear of uh, vitamin D toxicity because these people weren't available, uh, you know, their, their diets and their exposure to sun and everything else and nutrition wasn't such that they could metabolize the vitamin D. There was this, this, you know, fear of vitamin D toxicity, which would cause all kinds of complicating things. So that reference range in that 30 to 50 level is really sort of getting people out of being symptomatic of vitamin D deficiency. So it's, it's sort of like people, you know, that are starting to pick up weight, but their blood sugar is not 
clearly in the diabetes range. They're already diabetic, but they don't know it. So I think that that's sort yeah. of sort of where the, the the lower part of the reference range is. Well, I think um, you already touched on the importance of including good sources of vitamin A, and I earlier mentioned vitamin K two, uh, which I get a lot from from ghee. I'm not a really big fan of natto, for example, which is another another food source. And with the athletes you're talking about, with the high levels, you, you seem to be also testing them regularly. So if you're talking about a really high level, I would, you know, keep the testing going on just to, just to be sure. Yeah, no, it works well. And, and you know, liver is probably one of the highest sources of K2 and, and bioavailable A. So it seems to work really well, observationally in terms of performance, how they feel, um, and all these markers. But it the serum markers we're seeing emerge don't actually, um, how would I say this? They don't actually agree with what modern medicine says is healthy. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very interesting space we're in right now. Well, with, with so many medical tests, um, what, what is normal is average and average is unhealthy. Most of the people we know are not healthy. They might be average. We were normal in the sense of optimal. So that becomes very important with all these things. Um, and people once just took calcium and then people got more enlightened about that, really realizing they needed the right ratios of calcium, magnesium, and other minerals and in the right forms. And so it goes with the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin D, A, K2. And, and so it goes, you know, right across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of these fat-soluble vitamins for human digestion and the human digestive tract are only available from animal or bacterial sources. So, you know, it's not that either of us are anti-vegetarian or vegan. It just ups the ante in how you're able to get those sources in in the ways and combine them. And, and I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that, that we as humans try to engineer stuff and we, we just get it. We sort of just trying to micromanage all these levels. It's just like eat good, real food, eat the whole animal, um, don't eat too much, fast. These are the kinds of things that, that the, the body tends to figure it out that way because that's how we evolved to, to, to do it. Yeah, I don't think it's normal to be eating out of pouches and out of, um, you know, you know, the shakes and the bars and, and on and on. This is so artificial. Yeah, and constantly having to weigh your food and adjust your things. I think the stress of that and the conscious thought is just, just really impactful for our health. You know, yeah. to get... It can be interesting short term to find out what you're actually doing to, you know, weigh and and figure all figure that all out. But day after day after day, it gets it gets tired. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's about living life. So let's let's talk about that. Living life. How about a naughty life? Well lived, Kayla. Tell it. Well, it's, it's about fun. It's about mischief. It's about companionship. It's about family and community and knowing people and tell us, you know, but yeah. So tell us about, you know, what, how do you live your life? I mean, your social aspects. I mean, we know about your training and your walks, you know, you know, you don't have to tell us all about your private life, but we, we want to know, um, sort of like what, 
does a picture of Kayla's life snapshot looks like? Because I think you're you're a wonderful role model for so many people, and and anybody that knows you knows just how vibrant you are, how charismatic, wonderful, and that you're also willing to stand up for the right thing. You know, you you know how to play the game, but you haven't gotten lost in it. Uh, I think that's a very important aspect of of this. So kind of give us a rundown about Kayla's A Day in the Life of Kayla. Well, I'm big on the importance of, of having cats in and a dog uh, for that unconditional love. And to be able to focus on on um, someone you love, I think that's you know giving and receiving love is a very important part of our lives. Now, in terms of the rest of my life, um, I am still trying to balance things to you know have a balanced, happy, happy life with the right with the right mix. It's still a struggle for me. And part of that is I've made some choices um, professionally. I've done some exposés and that kind of work, whistleblowing work, is very, very stressful. And I want to get away from that. I want to go back to being naughty and being mischievous, uh, having having fun where there's the joy. Uh, the exposés feel like the right thing to do, but they they take over and the life gets out of balance. Plus, there's a lot of stress. And it's not fun to be on the receiving end of anger. So hoping to get into something that's that's more joyful for me. But you, you, you have the, the courage of conviction about to do the right thing and not to just bury it. And, and, and I, I really, truly admire that. And, you know, like we all have these kinds of stressors where we have to face these seminal things and it's, it's just all too easy to, to segue. And I think, I think part of that message of what we're talking about by anti-aging is, is you, you die a slow death when you... Yeah. You have to you have to be doing work where you can sleep at night with a clean conscience. And one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is how important it is to be able to quickly admit you make you made a mistake, and to and to move forward, or or to say I don't know. That that is big. Saying I don't know, and then trying to find out everything you can. And then when you learn, and then when you start, so free. yeah, when you start finding out, you learn how much you really don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I would say at this point, I know nothing. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, and, you know, you're not stuck in some rut. That's that's actually part of aging well, I think. Well, it's kind of liberating because you can go back to that childlike sense of wonder, eh, gnomes? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. um, you know, you know, we're we're both the fortunate. inquisitive mind where you asking questions and learning and and as you said, Kayla, you know that then that's going back to to the mystery and the um, excitement and yeah, it's it's the fun in life, isn't it? It's, there's a lot of joy to that and reaching the point where you're learning from everyone and you're seeing the positive things in a lot of different people and not wanting everyone to be exactly like you. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, th there's, there's always going to be people who have agendas and stuff like that. And it's the human condition and, and having compassion, but at the same time, standing up for 
um, what's right, you know? And um, I think that that's sort of like back that childlike wonder and inquisitiveness and curiosity, but also that sort of superhero right the wrong type of mentality. And it's just like, it's just like a wonderful way to, to kind of live your life, you know, and, and, you know, people want us to grow up. They want us to, um, get with the herd and just go down to slaughter in that easy way. And, you know, it's like, screw that. Well, there was a book that came out some years ago. It's called Secrets of the Super Young. And the authors interviewed a lot of elderly people who were very youthful despite their age. And there were some key things that came across over and over. These were people who they'd wanted to learn French all their lives. And they started learning French when, say, they were 70 years old. They wished they'd learned to play the piano, so they started taking lessons. And... Um, such such good models that way they want to travel they travel they find a way to do it yeah i think uh i think julia child took up cooking in midlife and then she lived into her 90s yeah she did she she really started cooking when she was about 40 and her motivation was she could she only figured out that the only thing she knew for sure was that she loved to eat (laughs) so she learned to cook Wow. And she liked to eat and good she food. Has, she found the love of her life when she was around 40. And she had an extraordinary marriage and a lot of mischief and a lot of fun between Paul Child and Julia Child. And she went on to do those amazing shows. And she was so fun and and so able to relax with her imperfection. You know, drop a chicken, pick it up, and move move on. You know, the, uh, <laughs> Naomi, uh, you, you're too young to know this, but that dates both Kayla and I because I remember as a child watching Julia Child, the Julia Child cooking show. That was in the 60s. And, and you're right. It was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. She lived well into her 90s, and she was one of those few people during the 70s and 80s who just railed against this whole low-fat movement. All of her colleagues, in the, the French male colleagues, had gone to that low-fat, low-cholesterol style of cooking, and she was just railing about it and how bad it was. Um, do you remember that, Kayla? Oh, yeah, and I just love the things she said, like the, the way to fix spinach, you know, boil it and, you know, add as much butter as it will hold. And cream, yeah. <laughs> and just, yeah, um, and some reporter asked her a question about what to use in place of butter, and she said, if you can't use butter, use cream. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, she, she just was so direct and so amazing. Yep, and lived a good life long, healthy, happy life, and it sure wasn't the cholesterol that killed her, right? Uh, no, uh, but you know, uh, her last meal was French onion soup, so maybe there was something in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much, Kayla, for once again coming on, and I hope our audience uh, enjoyed it. Naomi, anything, closing thoughts? No, I love interviewing you, Kayla, and I love listening Thank to you. you, so it's it makes me go home and be naughty. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, well, thanks again, Kayla. Thanks, we'll, Kayla. And we'll have, be having you Thank on you. again. Uh, we'll have you, have you on again. We, you know, we've got the whole soy story. We've got the, the, the fishy story there with the fish oils and, um, you know, on and on. So looking forward to it. Lots to talk about. All right. All right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.
You too. You are listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.